This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Gentlemen, welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Please join uh, Rabbi YomTovMediaClub.com. There's something called law of economy. And the law of economy is the that you only trade a lesser good than the greater good. You only trade a lesser good than the greater good. Everyone say it together, law of economy. Law. He didn't say it. Let's all say it together. Really, everyone move your lips. It helps a lot to move your lips when you say things. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Law of economy. Which means, and say this, you only trade a lesser good for a greater good. Say it. Very good. So when you hand, for example, five shekels for a Coke, and the owner of the store hands you the Coke, everybody's happy. The guy's not going to call the cops that you just ran off with a Coke for five shekels. He's, he's, you're saying, my five shekels is worth less than the Coke. And so you hand him the five shekel. And he's saying, my Coke is worth less than the five shekels. And he hands you the Coke. Everybody's happy in all deals. That's the way deals work. Is that you'll never trade a greater good for a lesser good. You'll always trade a lesser good for a greater good. Now, there have been times where we blew it. There's times where we've blown it, where, where the perceived value wasn't the value. And then we're upset because we traded more than we would have for what we wound up with. You know, sometimes you, you buy something cheap and what's the famous line? Buy cheap. Sell high. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, too. No, buy cheap, get cheap. Okay, buy cheap, get I mean, you, 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 you bought the cheaper version and then you wound up spending much more. One of the examples of this is couches. When you buy a couch, you can buy you can spend thousand dollars a couch, and you know thousand dollars you can buy a couch for three four thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. Do it, do it. If you've already discovered the house, you're in the house you're going to be living in. You got the perfect space for the couch. You know the couch you want, meaning what what kind of what you're looking for to design the couch there. Spend five grand because what's going to happen twenty years later you'll have already spent like, like, twelve on various couches that you keep buying that get destroyed by your children. So you buy one strong couch, you get a Nicoletti or something, and, and it lasts forever. So now what happens when it comes to morality and doing the right things, we often don't think of the law of economy. So what are we looking at? We're looking at the benefit. The benefit is, I feel like doing this. And then we don't look at the cost. And what's the cost going to be? And you'll notice that the cost you pay for in two worlds. One realm you pay for the cost in is the realm of the fact that I think you all are aware that if you don't, when you do things that are out of alignment of your greater good in life, your whole life starts to kind of unravel. When you blow it with things, take a thief for example. Like the thief has a chance to get something for really cheap, otherwise known as free because he steals it. Okay, so it looks like he got the greater deal. He paid next to nothing except the risk. And in order to get, but let's say he really minimized the risks, so he was able to do it without getting caught because he's, he's, he's minimized risks. And so at minimal risk, he gets smartphones or whatever it is. Now, is he going to pay for that? Does that cost him anything? Yeah. It's going to cost him big time. For example, can anyone trust him? Is he trustworthy? Not a very trustworthy guy. So again, eventually the guy realizes that he wants to get married. So he gets married. And, and now 
she's got a heart. And that heart needs to be trusted because meaning it has to be put somewhere that it's trusted. She's only putting her heart in a in the receptacle that's trustworthy. And it turns out that let's just say he's quit stealing, he's gone on a good path and everything, but he never really worked on the fact that he's totally untrustworthy. He just happens to not steal anymore because he got a good job and he's like he's making good money now and he hasn't stolen in twenty years and everything's great. Now he's married and but she will never give him his heart because he's not trustworthy really with her heart because he's, he's broken trust he's, he's someone who lived off of a lack of trust and so he's paying now big time in his life meaning there, there's nothing free and so what happens in what happens in our lives is that There's costs, and they're big-time costs, and, we're, and people are suffering these costs everywhere and all the time. Like right now, sitting in your own seat, you have all kinds of costs that you're paying for in your life. And you probably don't even know what half of them are. Some of you do know what you're paying right now. And, and you'll also notice that the more you align your life with truth, like even speaking truthfully, the more you align your life with principles of truth, like things that work, like a principle of truth is eating healthfully is a principle. That's truthful. You know, you are what you eat. So be healthy and eat, so eat healthy, be healthy. Um, there's being in good shape physically. There is uh, flexibility, coordination, strength. All these things are very important for your body. And as you align with those things, your body's going to align. You're going to have less visits to the doctor. You're going to have... You're going to be, in general, healthier. You're going to be better for your... If you're working in a company, you're going to be a much better catch for the employer because you have less sick days. And, you know, you're just altogether better off just from that alignment. And so the price you pay for healthy eating and healthy behavior is going to be whatever it costs to eat healthier food. The benefit's going to be tremendous. And quite the opposite, if you decide to blow off that aspect of life, so you'll, you will be paying the price for that. Everything costs. But then there's also the fact that, that we're all, in the end, going to have to meet God. We all have to meet God. I mean, they, they, unless God has a sick sense of humor, you know, you're going to be meeting God at the end of your life. When I say meeting God, I'm not saying it's like a... No, you're not like meeting him like a like at a business meeting or something like that. I don't mean like that. What I mean is you're going to have to rec- reckon for your use of your time on earth with your body. and You're going to have to reckon for that. And, and how you reckon might be very different than how the person next to you reckons because each one of us has a conscience. Some people's conscience isn't very developed. My conscience is highly developed. I spent 28 years in, you know, immersed in the Hasidic community. You know, so like, like, there's things I would never have thought that a human being could feel bad about doing or not doing. And I, I literally, like, the worst thing I did today was I was in the middle of a pusik when I touched my shoe. And I realized I'm going to get totally lost if I don't finish the pusik. But as I continued the puzzle, I realized God's name was in it. And I would never use God's name after touching my shoe. I would always touch some water or something. So this is like, today was like the first time I ever used God's name. 
having touched my shoe. So you're all looking at me like, what are you, crazy OCD freak? Man, like, those who don't know Jewish law and when it comes to purity and stuff. But you understand, for me, maybe you ladies, the, my seminary girls over here, understand a little more where I'm coming from, is that, is that you know, my, my conscience is very well developed. Yeah, pasuk, and that, that's a prayer. Pasuk is a sentence in the Torah. A sentence in the Torah. Yeah, anytime you have a sentence... You know, you, if you're going to be using God's name in, or any Torah, any Torah, even without God's name. But I was in the middle of a Pusuk of prayer when I touched my shoe and I was scared I would forget where I was. And so I just wanted to finish it. And then I realized God's name was in it. And I, I just finished it. And I, I shouldn't have. Whatever. So, now... I don't know who to ask this, but uh, uh, I guess I'll go back to you because I already got your name, but now it just disappeared from my head. What was your name again? Yonatan. Yonatan. Do you think your your experience of touching your shoes is going to have anything to do with your afterlife? I can answer that for you. Like the higher level you are, the the more the minor the the more uh, influence it has, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would say the same. And so, I don't know how sensitive you are, but I imagine that your your shoe touching habits is going to be not part of your reckoning. People's reckoning is going to be based on their their. Um, you know, it's really. Yeah, I mean, let's put it in perspective here. You know, we have to put the AC on. It's too hot for me. Um, just put it on low, the lower fl- fan, though. I mean, let's put this in perspective. Is there a sin that God really feels strongly about? Serving what? Serving Lack of consciousness and attentiveness. So there, there's a couple where God plays hardball and seems to really care. How do we know what those are? How would we ever know? Ah, maybe that's a hint. Maybe the punishment for any particular transgression lets us know how God feels about it. How clearly it's articulated in the Torah. Okay, perhaps how clearly it's it's articulated. I like the punishment idea. Because our you know what our rabbis say about the death penalty? You know the death penalty shows up for a lot of things. And things you'd be surprised about. Like, for example, Shabbat. Like, transgressing Shabbat just... It's a little funny that it gets a death penalty. I mean, it's like, like God really needs us to be sitting around a table overeating. You know, like, like that's the big deal here. You know, that, that we should not be texting on our smartphones. Is, that's the big deal. So, and also, was it, does anyone ever get killed for, does anyone get the death penalty in Judaism for anything? They never do it. But they Torah, never do it. It never happened. No, in Torah times, they never did it either. They say if a court killed one person in 70 years, one person in the entire land, and, and the book's chock full of, the law is chock full of death penalties. If one person got the death penalty in 70 years, that court was called a bloody court for having killed the person. Meaning none of, and, and are, they, are they not killing the person based on Torah or they've gotten more lenient? Which one? No, it's based on Torah. Torah never wants the death penalty meted out. 
never wants it. And so, therefore, what is all that death penalty doing in the Torah? And the answer is, is that's God saying this matters. That's all. This matters. A lot. This matters a lot. Maybe another way of saying it is, is death's better than this. Meaning, meaning, here you are in a situation where you'd really like to do this, but you really shouldn't. And the Torah is saying, like, this is, this, it'd be better not to be alive than do this. Because doing it, according to the Torah, is, is as if you shouldn't be alive for having done it. So therefore, it's, it'd be better not to be alive than do this. You, you get that? I mean, it's just a, a creative thought to have. Because you'll never get the death penalty for this. It's never going to happen. But yet the Torah gives a death penalty for it. So, so it must be saying that, that I'm supposed to see this as like a total misuse of, of renting this body. You understand? I have to see this as a total misuse of having ever had my soul in this body. That's basically the thoughts that we should have. Now, but here's the main thing. The main thing is that if we have a reckoning after this lifetime, if we got to deal with something after this lifetime, that has to come into the law of economy that we only trade a lesser good for a greater good. That has to come in. Meaning your soul is forever. You can never kill a soul. Where would you put a knife to kill a soul? How many souls were killed in the Holocaust? Zero. Where, how do you kill a soul? You can't kill a soul. What are we talking about? When we say the word death, what are we talking about? Soul or the body? 100% the body. Can't kill soul. And you can't even make life out of a body. Like, if God doesn't put the soul in there on the 40th day of the fetus, what would be born would be a, uh, I don't even know what, it would be a, uh, a little, like kind of a high-tech monkey without the soul. It would never get language, that's for sure. And think of a body, if a human body, if God just like skipped that one regarding the soul part, God just skipped that one. Like, we're going to put a soul in that fetus and that fetus because the 40th day is when the soul comes in. And God just said, we're going to skip that one. You think that, you think that one's going to get language? Think that one can be intimate? Connective? It'll never have that. The soul came from somewhere and it's going to somewhere. And the only reason it's in this world right now, sh- being shown the film you're looking at out of your eyes right now, is because you're ultimately interfacing with choice. And the most basic level of choice that you need to make the most basic level of choice you need to make is how to care for your soul. How do you care for it? Like, forget all the other choices for now. It's just soul care. There's a party that's eternal and super susceptible in our generation. I mean, I remember when I first got to Israel, if you wanted to sin, let's say you're praying at the Kotel, and you're like, you know what? Okay, that was for prayer. Now let's go sin. So you want to go sin. You'd have to like, I don't know, you'd have to drive to Haifa or something Tel Aviv, I don't know what you'd have to do to go sin. Today, you could be praying on your iPhone sitter and then accidentally hit Safari for those who are loose clickers in the bathroom. So you accidentally hit the Safari app and 
you're in Tel Aviv. At the Kotel. You know, and then when the state of Israel imported Rush, a million Russians who I think I forget what the number oh, how could I have forgotten this number I forget but there was a large percentage of them were Gentiles I forget if it was one quarter or one third I forget the number it was some large portion of Gentiles but they you know they were like Gentiles were like hey I'm Jewish and they all moved to Israel and who knows what they were dealing with in Russia that day I mean you, you imagine importing Gentiles in Russia who are willing to come to Israel pretending they're Jewish. You could just imagine what they must have been up to, that they would, over there, that it was worth it to have that big a change of scenery, to be a total foreigner in a Jewish land. Like, Russians generally don't like Jews very much and like to move to Israel. So it used to be that if you wanted pork... I mean, you were just really stuck. You'd have to like travel halfway across the country to find it. Today, I live in uh, I live in Nachlo, in the center of town, by Agrippa Street, and uh, I mean, just from my house, you can fo- probably buy pork. I like, forget the fact that you have to go up to some pig butcher, pig butcher, who's illegally growing pork in Israel. The um, You'd have today from my house. I would say there's probably 15 different places to buy pork within a a minute and a half walk. <coughs> Sold by Jews. Sold by Russians. I don't know if Jewish. I don't know if they're Jewish, and I don't know what the state of Israel's thinking. I mean, last week we had major riots by Ethiopians. You know, like either bring if you're going to bring people in, treat them like citizens. You know. That's, it's like they're it's, you know I'm starting to think about this I used to be much more liberal about ethnicities and countries but now I'm starting to realize that if you're liberal about that you have to be liberal about everything and if you want to be more conservative because Israel's a very conservative people and um with a real Jewish pride. Even the most secular, like, LGBT Tel Aviv Jews, they're extremely proud of their Judaism and proud of their people and their country and their state and their history and everything. You know what I'm saying? They're, like, they're big time into that. And and so they're not that excited about having Africans here. And they're not very excited about having Islamic people here. But if you want to be politically liberal and let them all be here, well, guess what? They have kids. You want to know something else? They have more kids than you have if you're a liberal, you know, secular Israeli. So they're going to outbreed you. And and now these are families born. When you're born into a country, that's home. And and so now we you have now we have multiple generations. The state of Israel did all their all their liberal uh, relationship to these different non-Jewish nations that do dwell here, they're already three, four generations in. What? Three, four generations in, then you got the Ethiopians, they're a couple generations in, then you got the Russians, many of whom are Gentile, several generations in. And you understand, if you're liberal about that, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have to eat it eventually. You understand? But on the other hand, what's the alternative? You know, ethnic cleansing? Like, I don't think that's going to be very good. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, like you're, when you got populations, it's, it is not an easy topic. And you see America's totally, U.S. is totally suffering this topic right now. In Germany with all the Arabs that came in the West? They don't, none of these countries know what to do with their liberal policies because these people, if they're, the next generation's home. They're home with their own culture and their own ways of doing things. And they, and they often outbreed the, outbreed the people who brought them. You know, the natives. So, it's a pretty interesting topic, and I don't even know... I don't know how to tackle it, but I'll tell you how the Torah tackles it. You know what the Torah's view is? Torah's view is um, there's no other culture in the land of Israel allowed in the land of Israel except for Torah Judaism. That's it. Gentiles are allowed only if they are keeping the seven laws of Noah no other traditions of, they can't be part of some other tradition and they they and they have a zero tolerance for keeping the laws of the state which of course were torah but a zero tolerance meaning if a jew breaks a law he gets a court case if a gentile living in the land of israel breaks a law it's not pretty you know it's a zero tolerance like you want to be here you can be here you got to keep the laws and i'm not saying shabbos or things like that i'm saying like the laws of the Gentiles in the land of Israel. So if they break those laws, it's zero tolerance. Meanwhile, what's happening in our country is they'll throw the book at a Jew who who keeps the Torah law but happened to break a civil law. You know, and against a Gentile who's living in the land illegally according to Torah. I mean, they're not allowed to be here because of whatever he was up to. Let's say he was he was a murderer and a Jew took it in his own hands and killed him, which is the law. That's the zero tolerance for a murderer. There's no trial. You just you catch him premeditating murder, he's dead. That's the law. Zero tolerance. And so the Jews fulfilling Torah law, and now the Jews going to jail for life in Israelis in the secular state of Israel, Jews going to jail for life for murder when he was just fulfilling the Torah law. It's like, so the, the whole, the whole, like the identity crisis of of this land is so massive and so complex. You know, it's a miracle. Like a day goes by in this country, and it doesn't just like like implode on uh, on its complexities. You want to say something? I want to say uh, to the topic. It's it's written in the midrash that the Moshe comes with Hashem today, and only Jews will live in Israel. Yeah, Amen, Amen. Yeah. So you just said it sounds like it's very easy by Torah law to kill a Gentile. So that means we just discussed earlier how hard it is to, you know, be sentenced to death. So is it a lot easier for a Gentile to be sentenced to death than a Jew? Oh yeah, but only in the land of Israel. Oh. Okay. Only once you're out of the land of Israel, it's it's their laws. Yeah, in the land of Israel, it's super liberal with uh, death penalty. Yeah, super liberal. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.